0: I'm Matty, and I'm the pastor at Bonacord. I've been part of the Father's House Church going on uh, nine years, I think. It's been a long time. The time has gone, and I've been out in Bonacord. Um, You don't need to clap. That's okay. I've been out in Bonacord for about three and a half years now, and it's uh, going well out there. We're having a good time out in the small community of Bonacord, and God's doing lots of great things there. So we're really thankful. Uh, we've been doing a lot of work with our young people in the community, and we're thankful for the opportunity to go into the Lillian Schick School and uh, be with our kids every lunchtime. And we run an afternoon program for our kids to come after school and hang out. And then uh, in the Wednesday Wednesday evenings, we run a, a youth discipleship program. And we've just started Youth Alpha as part of that. We were doing a Bible study now we're just doing the Youth Alpha. And uh, last Wednesday was our first one, and we had about 20 youth coming out, which is really amazing to us uh, just to see, I guess, the connection into our local school. And then, of course, you get a whole group of kids coming and eating all your food on a Wednesday after school. But the fact that we're pretty explicit about our Wednesday evening program like, we are upfront, like, you're coming to learn about God and to understand Jesus. And we're very upfront about that. And that's really nice to just see that many young people who are hungry, I guess, for a hope-filled story. And so we get to share that through the gospel. So really thankful for the work God's doing out in Bonacord. Um, so yeah, I'm, I'm thankful to be here. I wore a very loud shirt today. And so it's, if I'm that boring today, at least you've got something uh, good to look at, I hope. So we're going to get stuck into the Word of God today. I'm, I'm just straight into it. I don't like to uh, muck around. Uh, we're going to cover a little bit of ground today. Uh, if you haven't been with us the last couple of weeks, I know Pastor Greg has been sharing... In this series called Living Hope, in in light of, I guess, the future revelation which is soon to come, Pastor Greg, from the book of Titus, explored this epiphany of God's coming glory. And in light of that revelation, and also the revelation that we've received through uh, the epiphany of Jesus Christ coming as the suffering servant and becoming sin on the cross, And really defeating the power of sin and death and for us to walk in resurrection life and hope in light of that revelation that we get, in light of the future revelation that is to come, looking at what it means to be the living hope now. And I don't know about you, but I know certainly in Bonacord, our young people, they need hope right now. It's a a narrative they need. The gospel story, the God story needs to be shared so that they have uh, in this, as they try and find their bearings and all of us in this world that is so confusing, uh, which will be the prevailing story of our culture? I believe the gospel should be. It is the greatest news. And uh, so in light of that future revelation, who are we to be? And that's been a little bit of what we're looking at. Um, Pastor Greg, last week, if you didn't hear it, uh, he brought those boxes, do you guys remember, if you were here, and uh, shared a little bit about building uh, building your life, maturing in this age, in this day, building your life upon faith with godly virtues, and he looked at that from 2 Peter, um, you can go and have a look at that uh, online if you want. Today I want to look at a little bit, I'm going to land, I always like to tell you where I'm going, so that if nothing makes sense along the way, because I can jibber-jabber a little bit, you'll know at least kind of the point I'm trying to make. Is that all right? Would you like to know kind of the point I'm trying to make? Because if I don't say it now, I might forget to articulate it later. So I'm, I'm going to be landing on uh, Revelation chapter 2, and I'm going to take a brief look at that uh, warning to the church in Ephesus about lo- leaving their first love. But to get there, I want to build some concepts, I guess. So I don't want to be too conceptual or philosophical, but I believe that there are some frameworks that will be helpful for us to understand on that journey to get to that place. And then I'm hoping that God will be able to touch your heart today and encourage you. And so I'm going to be building a little bit of a, a, bit of a story as we get there, using some verses and some concepts so that we can land there and really just encourage you to uh, rediscover your first love. So that's what we're doing. But I'm going to start off with this one verse from 1 John chapter 3. See what great love... Everyone say love... The Father has lavished on us. Everyone say, lavished. That we should be called children of God, and that is what we are. The reason the world does not know us is that it did not know Him, dear friends. Now we are children of God. Everyone say, children of God. And what we will be has not yet been made known, but we know that when Christ appears, we shall be like Him, for we shall see Him as He is. All who have this hope in Him purify themselves just as he is pure. I'm going to pray. Why don't we do that and take a moment to pause and stop because we can rush so easily through church. Let's just pause. Would you just be silent with me for a moment? I know it's awkward, but it's okay to be silent. Let's be silent just for a moment and just get you to just just breathe and relax and focus on Jesus. Father God, we come before your throne humble and teachable, and I pray that, Father, we would recognize uh, the goodness that you give to us and you bring to us. Today we ask that you'll settle our hearts and our anxious thoughts, and we come before you with an attitude of repentance, that we would cast aside the sin that so easily entangles us, and that we would fix our eyes on you. So forgive us, Father and we receive your mercy and grace this morning. And now we come prepared to uh, be in fellowship in unity in the spirit with our brothers and sisters, God, and we gather around in community around the truth of your word. So I pray that your word would be active today and it would not return void, but it would accomplish its work. Be with your church today, bring healing balm to those who need healing, bring life to those who are feeling dead, bring forgiveness to those who are overcome with grief and we pray for joy and peace in the house of God today. In Jesus' name, amen. I think that verse is such a powerful verse and we're not gonna spend a lot of time in this verse, kind of how I'm going about today. I like to be exegetical. I love to look at one portion of scripture and really unpack that verse and understand it. Today's a bit more of a synthetic approach, which is kind of looking at a series of verses to build that picture, so it'll make sense as we go. But what an incredible thing to think about being His church. Uh, being His children because God has loved us. And to be His church means to be His children because really the Father in His mercy has extended grace to us and uh, lavishes His love upon us. I mean, that's a a profound thought when you understand it. But one of the things I want to be honest with you this morning is I don't know in my Christian walk if I fully grasp the reality of God's love because it sounded a little bit wishy-washy to me. Can I be honest with you? I didn't really understand it. Like, I've been told that God loves me, and I know God loves me, and I understand that. But I don't know if I fully grasped it. That that was something that I had to come to a conclusion. I'm like, it's nice to know. Thanks for the sentiment that God loves me, but I don't fully understand what that really means. It hasn't really gone off. Like, I have to be honest with you, I grew up in a pretty healthy family. My mom and dad are still married. They loved me. It wasn't perfect, but... Life was okay, I never didn't have friends, I, I had friends growing up, I, I, you know, even though I had my own struggles, I never felt really unloved. So to not come from that place and then hear God loves me, it, I, I'm honest with you, it was kind of like awesome, I'm glad God loves me, that's great. I don't know if any of you identify with that, I'm just being honest and humble before you. I didn't fully grasp the reality of God's love, so I, I didn't really kind of understand it until I found Uh, a really powerful verse that began to sort of help me understand the nature of God's love and what it actually does. So can we explore God's love for a minute and understand it? Because I think to the degree we understand some of what I'm going to share today, to that same degree, you'll understand what I'm talking about at the end as well with coming back to God's love. Romans 5 is my favorite scripture. It's my favorite portion of scripture. Romans 5 says this, verse 1, Therefore... Since we've been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have gained access by faith into this grace which we now stand. And we boast in the hope of God's glory. Not only so, we also glory in our sufferings because we know suffering produces perseverance, perseverance character, and character hope. Hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured out into our, everyone say it, through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. This is a profound verse for many, many reasons. Not for the reason that because we were dead in our sins, we have been made right before God the judge. At the court and at the bar of God's justice, we are declared right because of Jesus Christ. That's the righteousness. That's being justified, that we stand condemned because of sin, but because of Jesus Christ, we get to stand before God the Father and be declared right with God because of Jesus Christ. That's the foundation of our faith. Because of that, we get to stand, Stand in God's grace. That's a fixed position. We stand under this grace of God, and God's love has been poured out into your heart through the Holy Spirit. It comes back to our verse before the love the Father has lavished upon us. This was transformative to me because I didn't understand God's love, but to the degree that I began to understand that God's love is, it goes somewhere and does something. It's not just a sentimental feeling, but God's love is active and actually comes into a place in your life and actually does something. When I began to recognize that, I began to understand what God's love is. Where is God's love poured out? Into your heart. The heart is significant. Because the heart, and I'm not going to get too philosophical, you can look it up yourself, but to make it short for the Hebrew people, the heart was the seat of will and desire. Did you know that? It's the place of will and desire. See, for us, we're intellectual. I think it was Descartes who said, I think, therefore I am, as though all we are are intellectual thinking things. And that all your behavior can be managed by the governance of your mind, But I'm gonna challenge that because I can be sinning and know very clearly I'm sinning, but something else drives my behavior. Have you found that? There is something else deeper within us that shapes us, that directs us. And I wanna suggest, according to the Hebrew people, it's this place of desire, which is referred to as the heart. Jeremiah 17, nine says, the heart is more deceitful than anything else. What's more deceitful? The heart. And it's desperately sick. Who can understand it? Jesus quotes the heart. He says, The good man out of the good treasure of his heart brings forth what is good. The evil man out of the evil treasure brings forth what is evil. For his mouth speaks that which is from his mind. No, from his heart, because it's the abundance of your desire that actually shapes your behavior. It's a really good concept if you can get this, because if you're struggling with sinful behavior, stop trying to just memorize too much scripture and try and think your way through it. Let the scriptures be there as a defense, but start asking God to assess your heart. What is motivating that behavior? We're more than just intellectual, logical thinking brains as though we're static containers for information. There is a deeper place that shapes us. Love isn't just a sentimental feeling. It's actually a transforming force that changes us. Sin is actually born in the heart. Do you remember what happened in the Garden of Eden? What did Eve do? She ate the fruit, didn't she? The Bible says she saw the fruit and her desire was for it. It wasn't just what she did, it was the fact that deep within her was something that was desiring what was not of God. That's what was sick. That's what sin is. Sin is the deeper places of us that look to desire the things that aren't of God. I don't know if you can identify that in your life. But there is a deeper place of us called the heart. Jesus even said, look, you guys are measuring yourself up to the law. He said, if you so much as hate your brother in your heart, you're liable for murder. Why would Jesus say such a, a convicting thing? It's because the Jews were looking at the external behavior, looking at, I've never murdered, I've never, Jesus saying, yeah, but all that behavior comes from somewhere else. So if you say you haven't murdered, but you hate someone, that's the same root, because it's deep in your heart. It's shaping your behavior. That's why Jesus says this, sin is born in the heart. All of us have desires. And that's fundamental to who we are. Pastor Greg will say, everyone's a worshiper. The question is, what do you worship? Everyone desires. The question is, what is it that you desire? Everyone loves. The question is, what is it that you love? And if, 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 if the heart is deceitful above all things, if sin is born in the, in, in the heart, and if that's the place of our desire, don't you think that's a good thing to recognize and look at? I think that that's why I think I think that's why I think. I think this is why that Romans verse is so profound to me because it's such a throwaway sentence almost, but when you recognize that God's love has been poured into this place, it should actually transform us. And that's the journey that I want to look at really quickly today. Because agape, I don't know if you've heard of the word agape. Who here has heard of agape love before? We often refer to that as God's love, don't we? And we look at Corinthians, and we look at love is patient, love is kind—all wonderful biblical truths. The word agape in, 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 in Greek antiquity meant to uh, to desire. That's to, to actually desire something. That's what it meant, um, and the, the the way in which it's used in the New Testament means to prefer what God prefers. So where. It, this idea of agape, which was used as a a way to describe love meant to desire, to prefer. In the New Testament, it's used to describe to desire or prefer what God prefers. God's love is the purest form of love and it literally means that when you have God's love in your heart, guess what? You prefer what God prefers. You desire what God desires. That's the nature of God's love is that when God's agape is poured into you, it's not just, oh, God loves me, that's wonderful, yeah, that's great news, but it actually comes into that place and just changes it all. It it brings chaos to all your desires that are restlessly looking for meaning and love and purpose, and he comes in, he goes, boom, I'm gonna change your desires from sinful desire to prefer what I prefer. That's what it means to love someone, is to prefer someone more than yourself. We can see that in the Bible. I think it's why Psalm 37 verse 4 says, delight yourself in the Lord and he will give you the what of your heart. It's when you are in love with God that your desires are his desires. Of course he's gonna give you that. We try and distort that to make his desires our desire, like our desires his desires and we go through that whole thing. Good luck if you've ever tried that. God won't give you the desires of your heart. I'm just gonna tell you that. But I think that's why it says when you're delighting in the Lord, he will give you the desires of your heart, that deep place. And I think we can only love as God loves us. And I think that the reality of his love coming into our heart is that he begins to change our desires. And we as his children begin to reflect that as his ambassadors in this world. I think Paul in Philippians 2 says something really interesting. He says, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. For it's God who is at work in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. I don't think that means go and figure out your salvation. I think what that means is salvation has taken place in the depth of your heart, the seat of desire where sin is born and bred. God comes and replaces that with his love. And then he says, let that be worked out into every area of your life. Let that thing that has taken place begin to manifest in all your behaviors and everything you do. Work it out like you're working it out through your life. So I think that, the message to the church, the people of God, who are changed by his love, our desires are to be different than the world's desires. Did you know that? We're actually being set apart, and coming back to the idea of this series is in light of eternity, in light of that epiphany that Jesus is coming, and he is coming back as the king of kings, and we exist in this age as the living hope, I think it's time for us to mature. It's time for Matty Coffin to mature, because I'm immature in so many ways. Allowing God's love to change us, his love should mature us, and our desires should look more like his and less of the world's. One of my favorite books, it's called You Are What You Love, The Spiritual Power of Habit by the author James Smith. He says this, discipleship, I don't know if it's up on your screen, is more of a hungering and thirsting for him than of knowing and believing. Jesus' command to follow him is a command to align our loves and longings with his, to want what God wants, to desire what God desires, to hunger and thirst after God and crave a world where he is in it all, a vision encapsulated in shorthand, the kingdom of God. Maturity, this is coming back to that idea, is not just simply acquiring more uh, knowledge in your head as though all we are are these static containers of information, which is what our postmodern secular world wants you to believe, that you can rationally and logically govern your life. But there's, we, we know, according to the heart, there are other things that shape your behavior than just you having the right knowledge. And I think it's why when the disciples were wrestling with this question of Jesus, how are we going to follow you in Matthew? Where's our food going to come from? Where are all the things that we need in the world going to come from? And Jesus goes through this thing, you know, the birds have nests, the lilies are clothed. And then he comes to this statement and he says, but you are to seek first the kingdom of God and its righteousness. The word seek is the exact same word for desire. Did you know that? In the Greek, it's the exact same word. So Jesus is saying you are to desire the kingdom of God first. The kingdom of God should be your desire, not all the things in the world that the world worries about. You're different. This is the call, the great call to lay down your life. For Jesus, he's trying to tell his disciples. He's not just saying, "I'll look for the kingdom. No, he's saying, let it be your desire and everything will be added to you. I think that's the mark of believers is that our desires are different from the world. That's how you know you're not just externally living a form of religion and looking good, but when God's desires are transforming your life and that your desires are in line with him. How do we know what's in the world? 1 John tells us pretty clearly. Don't love the world or anything in it, First John says. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father isn't in them. That's how you know. When God's love is poured into your heart and your desires are for him, but you know you're not walking in truth or the love of God because you love the world. And he says this, this is what's in the world. The lust of the flesh. The word lust is the same word as desire. In fact, some of your translations will probably say desire. So I'm gonna use it. Desire of the flesh. The desires of the eyes, the pride of life, doesn't come from the Father, but of the world. And the world and its desires pass away, but whoever does the will of God lives forever. I think it's just highlighting the fact that this idea of desire, I think, is so powerful. Because as I've wrestled with what is God's love, I'm understanding that it's not just a sentiment. It's a real force that changes you. And it should because it goes right to the place where sin was and transforms you and you look different than the world. And I think it's just time for us to grasp that a little bit. If it's true that that epiphany is here and God's coming, let's be ready. Let's be different than the world. Let's stop looking, smelling, tasting, feeling like the world. Let's be different. And it's so clear in the Word of God. I'm going to tell you something. This is the message. This is a very offensive message to the world. Did you know that the gospel causes offense to the world? It does enmity with God, the love of the world. The world is different and this message is different and it's offensive. Do you know why? Jesus says a prayer for his disciples in John 17. I told you I'm looking at lots of Bible verses today. I hope it's not too overwhelming. But I think it validates what I'm saying. I have given them your word and the world has hated them because they're not of the world. We're not of the world, church. Just as I'm not of the world, Jesus says, I don't ask that you take them out of the world. But keep them from the evil one. That they, they are not of the world just as I am not of the world. Sanctify them in truth. Your word is truth. You sent me into the world. I'm sending them into the world. And for their sake I consecrate myself that they may be sanctified in truth. I think in this church age, as Pastor Greg has shared, wedged between these two events, the suffering servant and the return of Jesus, we exist in this moment of time and space to be a hope to the world, and it looks different. Another book that I've been reading, Everyday Church, Gospel Communities on Mission, the authors Tim Chester and Steve Tim say, we've got to allow the gospel to define our identity rather than the prevailing secular and socially fragmented story that our society tells. In Christ, we have been restored to what we were originally made to be, men and women who live in community and are characterized by sincere brotherly love. We are different, our identity is different, our look is different, our shape is different, our form is different, and that's okay. Do you know that it's actually okay? And it is offensive to the gospel, so stop trying to make it not. The gospel will be offensive to the world because in the world are the desires of the eyes and the flesh, the narrative that they're trying to tell that is a hopeless story. We have the gospel and it is different. We're strangers to the world. And I think that's why in Romans, the uh, writer says, Do this, knowing the time. That is already the hour for you to be awakened from sleep. For now salvation is nearer to us than when we believed. The night's almost gone. The day is almost here. Therefore, let us lay aside the deeds of darkness, put on the armor of light, let us behave properly as in the day, not carousing and drunkenness, not in sexual promiscuity and sensuality, strife and jealousy, but put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh and its re- in its regards to its lusts, desires. We're different. Our desires are different. Our look is different. We are strangers to the world, church. Did you know that? We're exiles, we're foreigners, we're aliens. To quote the, the authors again, more and more we need to recognize who we are, that we are not of the world and that we're set apart. And more and more we need to realize who we are and what will come and take us off our journey. Exile is not geographically defined. Christians are not strangers because they've moved from their homeland to a new country. I have, but whatever. They are exiles because their identity has so radically changed that they are no longer at home in their country of birth. That's how radical the change is as a Christian because your desires are so radically different than the desires of this world. So radical that you're in exile to the world. And I think we have to be cautious here because I think sometimes we're trying to have friendship with the world. The Bible says, don't you know, that's enmity with God because we're not the world. There's no gray area with that. You're different. Our desires are different. I think that's why this message is about us recognizing that so we can ask God to come and change that place of desire in our heart again so we would begin to look different. I think we need to recognize the importance of God's love, not to just fulfill the great commandment to love God and love others, but to be effective witnesses in this world in this hour and make sure all we're doing as his church is pleasing to God. And that brings me to my last kind of big scripture, and then we'll start the conclusion. I told you I had to build some context to get to here, didn't I? So hopefully that's been helpful and you understand where I'm coming from. You're allowed to disagree with me, and we can chat after. It's awesome. I love having conversation. Um, But this is where I wanted to land is, you know, this picture and revelation of the church in the last days and this warning for us. And let it be a good warning, a reminder, so to speak, and it's from the Apostle John, who is one of my favourite apostles because he was the first, one of the first to be called, and he's the last to live. And he's the bishop of all these churches in modern-day Turkey. Uh, in it was called Asia. And there's these seven churches that he became kind of like the Pastor Greg of Bonacord, Rochester, and Maury. You know, the bishop, the overseer of the pastors in those local churches. And the Apostle John has this incredible revelation. And we looked at it a couple of weeks ago uh, that, you know, he, he, he gives this revelation uh, to John. And John begins to pen these warnings to the churches. And they're relevant to the context with which those church find themselves. But they're also relevant to us today the same warnings I believe anyway that are good for us today and so while we could look at all the churches your job this week look at Revelation 2 read the warnings I want to focus on the church in Ephesus and I'm going to read it and then we're going to look at it and what this has to do with God's love is that all right can we just look at it right now it might be on your screen Revelation chapter 2 to the church in Ephesus which is what the apostle John was overseeing he writes this and it says to the angel of the church that means messenger the pastor the one who's overseeing the church These are the words of him who holds the seven stars in his right hand and walks among the seven golden lampstands. I know your deeds, your hard work, and your perseverance. I know you can't tolerate wicked people. You've tested those who claim to be apostles but are not and have found them false. You've persevered, endured hardships for my name, and you haven't grown weary. Pretty good church, right? False prophets, all kinds of uh, things they've gone against, and there's an encouragement there but yet I hold this against you. You've forsaken the love, which means you've left, you've left the love that you had at first. So consider how far you've fallen. Repent and do the things you did at first. If you don't repent, I'll come and remove your lampstand from its place, but you have this in your favor. You hate the practices of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate. And we can, we're not going to get focused on the Nicolaitans teaching. Nicholas was a A person who was like a a deacon in the church who went off with stray teachings. and So this idea that this church has come against false teachings to protect its church. But what's the warning? Because it's a pretty significant warning. If God's love is just wishy-washy, then you'd almost skip over and be like, oh well. But what is the warning? Just yell it out. left the first love, didn't they? They left their first love. Church is doing all these wonderful things that appear to be good, And God is saying, you know, you've been doing these good things, but you've forgotten your first love. Did you know that church, even good works can be done out of your own desire and not God's? That's a really striking and challenging thing. If you reflect in humility and ask God to assess your desires, do you know that you can still do good things? The church can still look like it's doing good things, but still be void of the transforming power of Jesus' love. In fact, you can look at the church in Laodicea later and see that Jesus is knocking at the door, wondering if anyone's going to let him into the church. It's actually really scary. We use that as an evangelistic thing that God's knocking at your heart and He wants to come in. That's not the truth of the, the word there. What it's saying is that there's a church that is actually thinking it's doing so good that Jesus is on the outside saying, Hello, anyone gonna let me in? That's actually the context of that verse. It's possible to do good things and look good, but it's not born out of the love of God, out of desire. That's just something that you gotta look at. It's pretty challenging. Francis Chan, in one of his sermons, said that, you know, we're taught early in our faith that Christianity isn't a religion, but it's a relationship. But yet somehow we find ourselves away from that fundamental truth, doing the things that we look good, but it's still void of God's love. And that's a warning to the church is that we when we lose the first love of Jesus, when his love isn't empowering us to walk in maturity, and we're just kind of in that apathetic middle ground of our Christianity. Our works become religious works. They're not born out of a transforming power of God and his desire. Can I tell you some scriptures that tell you that? Proverbs twenty-one two says, All deeds are right in the sight of the doer, but the Lord weighs what? You can look good, smell good, taste good, but if it's born out of the wrong heart, as he warns the church, it's not good. Samuel 16, 7, the Lord said to Samuel, don't look at his appearance or the height of his stature. I've rejected him. God sees not as man sees. God looks, man looks at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at what? Our heart. He looks at our desires. He looks at our loves. He looks at our worship. He looks at what is actually causing us to do those things. To quote another book, I'm sorry, I read lots, Life in the Trinity by Donald Fairbairn says, somehow we are called to do more than simply imitate God's love. We're called to remain on and carry forward to the world this very love which the Father has loved his Son from all eternity. The loving relationship between Father and Son, the glorious presence of the Father with the Son is not simply a model that we're to follow. What he's saying is that through Jesus Christ, we're welcome into the loving relationship of intimacy with the Trinity. And our job is to rest in that and allow everything to flow from that love, not just some model that we need to go and replicate and just do good works. Because without his love, I'm gonna tell you something, we can become empty social justice warriors that are not reflecting his heart to the world. We fight battles because we're wounded, not because of his wounds. One of the warnings to the church in the last day is that the church becomes motivated by, not by God's love, but trying to combat all the stuff in the world and not letting it come from that place of being changed by his desire. And that's why there's a warning, if I can share. Now, I shared this a little while ago, but the warning is, I will remove your lampstand. Now, that's a powerful image, because if you understand what the lampstand is in the tabernacle... The, the Jews would have gotten this, no problem. The church would have understood this, but the lampstand's job in the, t- in the tabernacle was, was to shine its light on the table of presents where the bread was, the shoe bread. Who calls himself the bread? Jesus says, I am the bread of life. Multiple references there. So they would have understood this, that the lampstand's job in the temple was to shine its light on what? The bread. So if the church is the lampstand, what is the job of the church? It's just to shine its light on Jesus. I think this is the warning to this church: is that it's it's almost though they took the lampstand and we're going over here, yeah, you evil people, and oh, culture sucks, and oh, the world this and world that, and they're just and God's like, you know what? You're doing good things because that is true. That's wrong. He's not saying what they did was evil. He's saying they're doing it picking up the lampstand and running around trying to shine in darkness everywhere rather than just letting it shine on Jesus. That's a warning. Now, I don't know if that offends you or not because there is truth, there is injustice in this world. I'm not saying that. And some of you are called to go and defend with the love of Jesus that. I'm not saying don't do that. I'm just saying the word's pretty clear here that we've got to be careful not to do things without God's love. And God's love isn't a wishy-washy thing, because to you justice warriors, that almost is like annoying, like God's love, I don't want to just go and hug them, they're evil. Sin is evil, that's not what it's saying, it's just saying that God's love is actually motivating you with the power of his love that changes the direction and what you're doing it for. So Jesus is the bread of life, and the lampstand's job is to shine on the bread, we can't do that if we're not changed by his love. And that's why today is called coming back to first love. In these last days, wouldn't it be good to know that we can go before the Father in heaven? And he says, well done, good and faithful servant. You did everything out of a pure motivation, even if it was unseen, even when it hurt. You were so changed by my love that your desires reflected my heart and you were a good ambassador. You were a good representation and reflection. Church, well done that you stood through the test of time and you didn't lose your focus off Jesus that you shined the light on the bread in the midst of darkness. Wouldn't that be a good place to get to? Well, there's hope in this warning. In these last days, we're being asked to grow up and be responsible. And this is what the warning is. Just consider how far you've come away, you've fallen. Repent and do the things you did at first. Because if, if you don't, the lampstand will be removed. I think the church has a place in our culture, a rightful place, But if we are not careful, we will lose our place. If we are not doing the work of maturity to actually be humble and not blame other people, but allow God to actually change our hearts and come back to that first love, for such a time as this, I think we need it. So I wanna share a couple of verses, and then I'm gonna conclude, and I'm actually gonna ask the band to come up, and we're gonna sing a really old classic. But I think that we can say these prayers, as we begin to assess the motivations of our desires, and if we're missing the love of God, if we're just doing Christianity, and we're not doing it from a place of transformation, you can pray these prayers, Psalm 139, in the spirit of David, search me, O God, and know my, try me, and know my anxious thoughts, and see if there's any hurtful way in me. Lead me to everlasting. We can pray that prayer, church, today. We can pray that. We can say to God, you know what, God, I, I can't keep ch- trying to change my behaviors and do my discipleship as just changing who I am and my thinking, but God, would you search that deeper place of me and see if there is any wickedness there? Psalm 51 says, create in me a clean heart, God. Clean my heart, clean that place of desire where sin finds its way in. Renew a right spirit. Don't cast me away from your presence. Don't take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore me the joy of my salvation, of your salvation and sustain me with a willing spirit. Above all else, guard your hearts, for everything flows from it. Psalm 26, test me, Lord, try me, examine my heart and my mind. First John says, this is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. Dear friends, since God loved us, we ought to love one another. No one has seen God, but if we love one another, God lives in us and his love is made complete in us. I'm gonna get the band to come up and one of the coolest stories in the book of John is when Jesus calls his first disciples, there was two of them that were hanging out with John the Baptist and John the Baptist was telling them Hey, there's this guy who's coming. He's greater than me. It's going to be the Messiah. And these two guys were there. And you have to understand that these two guys, Andrew and probably John, were fishermen that lived very far away. So they were seeking for truth. And they were hanging out with John the Baptist with expectation. And then they see Jesus and they run over to Jesus. And and Jesus, uh, they say, hey, hey, Rabbi, where are you staying? And you know what Jesus does is he turns around and he says, what is it that you, you desire? It's a really pointed question that the Rabbi asks. You should read it in John chapter one. Your translation might say, what are you seeking or what are you looking for? But the word is the same word, seek, desire. Jesus says, what is it that you're desiring? And he instantly assessed their motivation before they went over and had fellowship with him and began to follow him. I think that's a good question for us. Church, what is it that you desire? What are you in this game for? What are you in this gig for? What are your desires? St. Augustine, this is my conclusion, said, our hearts are restless until our hearts rest in you. Are you restless? Are you restless in your heart? Are you anxious? Have you been doing, going, serving, at working, and not doing it out of a place of just the transforming power of his love? Well, I just believe that today is the day of salvation, not only for those who have never called upon Jesus, because you have to understand that when we say, you know, invite Jesus into your heart, what we're actually asking the invitation to be is not this cuddly Jesus that just loves us, that's true, but that actually God's love would change the very core of who we are and transform our desires, that we have recognized a wrong. Where we have recognized, we have been restlessly, aimlessly swimming through life like existential sharks, looking for something to eat, hungry, not really knowing, living our life with a picture of the end that we can't even clearly identify. We're just hoping that we get there somehow. And then we get to that place and we recognize, hang on, you know what, I'm off. So I need God's love to actually change me because it's in that place that Romans 5 says, you have peace with God. And you stand in his grace. You're not moved by that. You just stand in the position of God's grace that is freely given to you. Then he says, he just goes glug, glug, glug and pours out love into that place that has been restless, that has been sick. So when we say invite Jesus into your heart, it's not just a quick little five-sentence prayer and then everything's meant to be good. It's, no, you recognizing I need my heart changed. And I'm going to say something, church, some of us can say that prayer as well. I can, because I recognize in humility that my heart isn't always good. The heart is deceitful above all things. My maturing journey is not the one-time prayer of salvation. It's the constant renovation of my heart that my heart is being aligned to the desires of God. And that's the maturity, and that's really where I wanted to land today. In light of God's return, let's be ready. Let's be a church that has the desire of God to do what God wants us to do, to not buy into the lie of the world. It is so foolish and such folly. The world is just all over the place because they don't know where to land. But we get to rest in His peace and His grace with a picture of the end. We know where we're going. Our telos is clear. Our direction is clear. And that's the invitation for us today. And so I'm gonna finish with this verse and I'm gonna get the band to sing a song. They can actually start strumming if that's helpful. And I'm gonna read this verse. And it's an old song, but it's scriptural and I love it. It's just, we're just gonna sing the verses together. And for me, it's if you wanna respond um, to I guess what God's saying, that you could use this song as just a declaration maybe or an invitation to prayer. And it's the old song, "Created me a clean heart, O God and renew a right spirit within me. So if you've been around churches long enough, you'll know this song. But I wanted that song because I feel like it's just a great way for us to stop and worship and ask that as a prayer in our heart. Is that okay? So as they sing that, we're gonna do that. But this is the verse I wanted to finish with. Second Chronicles 7:14. My people who are called by my name would humble themselves and pray, seek my face and turn from their wicked ways. I'll hear from heaven. I'll forgive their sin and I'll heal their land. And so today for me is the day of salvation. And it's the day in which you get to invite God into your heart to change your desire. For those of you who have been restlessly walking and doing religion, it's a, it, it's a time to just say, God, help me turn from my wicked ways. I'm gonna repent and see how far I've fallen. I'm also to say, God, come and forgive my sin and heal my land. So if you need healing in your heart, if you need to invite God into your heart, anyone just stand up right now together.